Excuse me if I'm a little bit, uh, little bit slow today, um, or uh, I seem a little bit tired, a little bit out of it, a little bit lower energy. Um, yesterday, I, uh, I spent all day at, uh, at the Lockport Parade. Uh, first time in five years that I was able to go to the Lockport Parade because of funerals and other things like that. Um, but for me, the parade was a watershed moment of sorts. It was a huge moment for me because I got to cook the pastelaya. Now, that means that there was a 20-gallon pot of pastelaya, and I was the one that was in charge of cooking it. Um, no pressure whatsoever, especially as I sat there, sat there and the, uh, the old fogies that, I used, that used to cook it all sat back and watched. And the captain of the ship was my father, sitting in his chair, just staring at me, waiting to see how I was going to mess it up. Now, there's a background to this story, though. There's a, there's a reason. Um, I, growing up, my, uh, my dad would often say, hey, come help me out with something. We had projects around the house, whether we were uh, renovating a room or uh, building, doing something or building something for a school project or whatever it was. But so often, I would be inside minding my own business, playing video games, watching TV, whatever it was, and I would hear from the door, hey, come help me out. So I would go outside, and the idea of helping out my father with any project was very simple. Stand there, watch, and when I tell you to hand me something, hand it to me. When I tell you to hold something, hold it, and don't even ask to touch a tool and especially something that's plugged in. I was never able to actually do anything. All it was was you just stand there and watch him measure. Stand there and make sure that the cut was clean. Stand there and hand him the next tool that was needed. But really, it was just kind of being forced to be in the front row watching a project be built. It was basically an HGTV, an HGTV show without like, it didn't take a half hour and it was a lot more swearing, right? So this was, this was how I was right. But now, yesterday was a big moment because it was finally my turn to play with the stuff right? I got to do the cooking. I got to play with the paddle. I got to be the one to kind of tweak the fire and mess with things like that. In fact, we sent, him on a, we sent my dad on a run just to get him away from us for a little while to make sure that I was able to be the one to cook it. And at the end, I was very, very happy, very, very grateful because there were plenty of people that came up and said, I'm just telling you right now, that's better than that garbage that y'all been cooking for years. I'm going to edit this part out, but I love you, Dad. Anyway. <laughs> but the reason why I say that, there was a, there's a part of today's gospel that we have to understand the proper context of what Jesus is talking about when he's saying this teaching. Because there's a few good lines that he's got in there, right? Take the plank out of your own eye before you look for the speck in another's eye. The good tree produces good fruit. There's a lot of good imagery but we have to understand one place where Jesus is coming from. One piece of context. That when Jesus is giving this teaching, he's talking about the life of a disciple. Now, don't turn your mind off. Because a lot of times we hear the word disciple and we're like, oh yeah, we kind of get that. We hear about that a lot. Discipleship. The idea of discipleship was basically like apprenticeship. What, would you, what you would do is that a master builder would basically take a disciple 
or take an apprentice and would form them and teach them how to do a craft. So a master blacksmith might have a disciple or a follower or an apprentice who would learn the craft of how to do blacksmithing, right? Working with metal. A sower, same thing. A cook, same thing. Like, we know this, we've experienced this in our own culture pretty, pretty easily, where if you've ever had a recipe handed down, if you've ever had a skill like sewing handed down, we know this intuitively, that what you do is, you're around someone who does it, you work for someone who does it, until you get good enough at it, then you do it yourself. And for years, I've been the one that has been standing there making sure to stir the pot to keep everything off the bottom for years and years and years, but not in control of what goes in the pot and when it happens. But just watching it and watching it and watching it, well, I've learned how to cook a 20-gallon pot of pastelaya. That's quite honestly better than my father's, right? But the reason why I say that, the reason why I say that is when Jesus today is talking in his gospel, when he's speaking this first line, he says, can a blind person guide a blind person or will not both fall into the pit? Jesus is re-emphasizing the importance that if you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to be a follower of somebody, if you want to learn a craft very, very well, you need to follow someone who knows what they're doing. Stands to reason, right? That if we're going to learn how to do a craft well, we need to follow someone who does it well themselves. If you want to learn how to be a good carpenter, don't go to one that their stuff falls apart. Go to a carpenter that is proven, that is tried, that has been tested, and learn from them. Learn from an expert. Learn from a master. When Jesus is using this imagery, and then when we apply it to our spiritual life, Jesus is saying, follow me. Let me be the master. Let me be the example. Let me be the one who's going to show you every step of the way of what it means to be a disciple. Put your trust in me. Now the sad part is, and the sad reality is, is that we are not good at that. Typically speaking, we as Christians, we as human beings on this side of original sin are not very good at putting our trust in Jesus Christ and letting him be the master and him be the example and him be the one that we seek to learn from. Instead, we often find ourselves putting trust in things of the world. And they're bound to fail and they're bound to frustrate. It's a lot easier to put my, it's a, it's a lot harder to put my trust in Jesus than to put myself, my trust in world leaders. And a president, and an office, and a political party. But when we put our trust in those things, 
Well, we saw what happened this past week. It's a lot easier for us to put our, our, our trust in the economy, or in money, or in status, or in comfort. But the reality is, those things fail. And those things frustrate. Right now, you and I, we are on the precipice of Lent. We're on Lent's doorstep right now. In three days' time, the Catholic Church is going to enter into a season that is devoted to being with Jesus in the desert. And that imagery oftentimes can seem kind of, kind of raw, it can seem kind of scary, it can seem kind of hard. But the imagery and that mindset of being in the desert with Jesus is a very, very simple and very, very old image. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament where the prophet Hosea, God says to Hosea, says, I'm going to bring my beloved into the desert with me. You see, the image of the desert is not supposed to be desolate and broken and hot and suffering. But the image of the desert is meant to be stripping everything else away so that an encounter can happen. Stripping away all the voices of experts, stripping away all the distraction, stripping away all the things that pull us and fight for our attention that should be given to God alone and God first. That's why the church every year embraces this season of going into the desert to encounter God all over and anew again. Because it's easy to try and find comfort. It's easy to try and find status. It's easy to try and find hope in things that are more apparent and louder and that are distracting in our world. But in three days' time, you and I are invited into the desert to encounter God all over again. Now, our Cajun culture, there's many things that I love about it, but one of the things that happens, and this is probably, you know, this might be me projecting onto you, so if it is, I'm sorry, but what ha- often happens to me is that about 10 o'clock in the morning on Ash Wednesday is when I go, oh my goodness, it's Ash Wednesday, what am I giving up? And then I think of all the things I did that morning, and I'm like, well, it's hard for me to say I'm going to give up TV because I did that already. It's hard for me to, right? Like, I start thinking, well, these are the things that are left over. That's what I'm going to give up. That's how I'm going to move through, through Lent this year. That's not you. Great. But I want to invite us today that so that we can be in a discipleship relationship with God, so that we can strip away all those things that might be distracting us, that are fighting and competing for our attention, that we can turn this, our attention interiorly and focus on God for the next 40 days, I'm going to give you two very, 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 very practical ways to maybe distill down what it is that God might be asking you to give up this Lent. There are two places that we can look. 
what we do with our time and what we do with our money. So if you want to look for something that you might be asked to give up, I'm going to ask you to, to, to just as a way of examining your own conscience, as a way of examining yourself, and as kind of looking in interiorly this morning, how is it that you spend your time? Like think of your calendar. Got work, get the kids to school, okay, check, check. Maybe go to the gym, check, all right, do, do all the things I'm supposed to do, all good, great, yeah. But with that leftover time, what do we give ourselves to? You don't know what you give yourself to? Do me a favor, if you have an iPhone, look at screen time and it's going to scare the heck out of you, I promise you. The amount of time that we spend just scrolling through and scrolling through and scrolling to Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever the one is, right? How much time that we spend just casually looking over and over and over at Amazon about what we might buy, what we might not buy, and moving stuff from the wish list to the basket and back, and do I need a 14th package this week? Like, all those kind of things. Like, the amount of stuff that we waste our time with. Those places that we waste our time and find cre like the creature comfort, the distraction of the world, podcasts or news or whatever it is. What is it might what it might be that God might just be saying, all that time? Cut those things out. Give those things up. Give up something that wastes time, distracts you from me, and that isn't for your benefit. Might not be bad in and of themselves, but what else could we do with that time? The second place where we invest our time tells us what's important. Where we invest our time tells us our priority. But also where we spend our money does the same. So for a moment, look at your bank statement. <laughs> Where have I, do I need the 13th shirt that I bought this week? Do I need another pair of shoes? Do I need another phone? Or is the one I got all right? Can we look at ourselves honestly and say, Am I investing my time? Am I investing my money? Am I investing the blessings that I have been given appropriately in ways that don't distract me and pull me from my relationship with God? Do I follow the blind masters of Amazon? Or am I focused directly on Him? God's calling you and I, very simply, to be his followers. God is calling you and I, Jesus Christ is, is asking for you and me in this Lenten season to refocus our lives that we can be his disciples, his followers, ones who are at his feet, learning from him, following him, so that at the end of Lent, we can be released on the world just like the early apostles. 
that we would be sent out to go and to preach, to go and to teach, to go and to spread the good news of the gospel, that it wouldn't just be contained in this church for an hour on Sunday. But instead, that we would go and bear good fruit. Like the tree we hear about in the end of our gospel today. The world's got its problems. Plenty of them. And we can pray for them and we can share the graphics on Facebook and do all the things that we should be doing, right? The world's problems start. The battleground for the world's problems begins first and foremost in the human heart. Before we can ever start saying, this is an easy fix to that, and this is what the Russians should have done, and this is what Biden should be doing, and Kamala's useless, and this and that, and all this argument and fighting and stuff that we do, before we go and have any of these arguments, any of these conversations, the first place you and I need to be very, very aware of is our own sin, our own brokenness, and the plank that is in our own eye before we simply try and fix everyone else. There's plenty of work to be done right here. At least in my life, I know it is. This Lent, we start with the purifying here, within our heart. We start weeding out the sin that we continue to go back to, whatever it might be. We start asking for the healing of our own heart, the the places that we've been hurt and offended, allowing God's mercy to speak to us and to touch us and to bring us healing during these 40 days. God loves us. We know that. God wants us to follow him. We know that. God wants us to listen to him. We know that. And during this time of Lent, it's meant to be a time of God working on the project that is me. In my heart. Let's give him a place. Let's give him the space that he can actually work in the places that we need it the most. And in that way, we can grow to be his disciple. Not just a student, not just a pupil, but a follower who then starts to look and act and speak like the master. Take these three days between now and Wednesday that as we enter into Lent, we can enter in with a heart that is ready to have the Lord heal us. Have a blessed Lent.